you try to get this chronological picture of how Jesus' ministry and the things that happened during his lifetime went along. And so once I finished that, I decided, well, I'll just continue on in Acts um, just to kind of refresh myself on how the early church um, began to be formed and function and, and, and walk in the, in the new truth and power that, um, that the Lord had given them. Um, and it was really interesting because after about, I don't know, maybe three or four or five chapters in Acts, maybe six, I don't remember exactly. All of a sudden, the book of Galatians comes up. And I'm like, well, this is interesting. You know, I mean, I kind of knew it, but then to have somebody remind you, oh, yeah, this was right after Paul's first missionary journey. He's back in Antioch, and um, he um, is writing to the Christians in three of the churches up in Galatia that he had been ministering to during that first missionary journey. And um, what had happened is some other Jewish leaders had come along behind him and said, oh, yeah, well, you also have to be circumcised uh, in order to be saved. And so Paul heard about this. And so he writes this letter to the Galatians uh, to try to correct this wrong teaching about the true gospel. And um, so I had been I had already reread Galatians maybe four or five weeks ago. And so it was interesting to get back into it again. And there's one verse and there's lots of verses, but there's one verse in particular in chapter three that has always puzzled me. And I thought, you know, I think I'm going to look into that verse a little bit. And, you know, earlier this week, it was clear. And the longer the week has gone on, the fuzzier it's gotten. So, uh, <laughs> I, I trust that you all will not leave here confused and be, bewildered, but we're going to take a stab at this verse um, here in uh, just a minute, but it, it may be a good time to stop and pray. <laughs> Father, your word is true, and Lord, you call us to handle accurately your word, and yet, Lord, we're all still learning. <clears throat> we're still learning, Father, the mysteries of who you are and and, and all the, the purposes that you have in, in mind and the things that you fulfilled. And so, Lord, we just pray as we look at Galatians this morning, particularly this one verse, that um, we would come away, Father, with a great appreciation of who you are and what you've promised. Mm -hmm. And so, Lord, we just commit this time to you that, that we might uh, be filled up with the knowledge of your word in respect to this particular part of the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, Galatians is one of those favorite books, along with about six others. We all have our favorite books. And I like this one because it's a little bit more of a Reader's Digest version of Romans for me. Um, so what happened, Paul writes this letter, the first couple of chapters, he is basically... Um, just telling the people he is an apostle and showing the authority that he has and showing how how the this gospel was revealed to him, not through other people, but directly from God. And then we get to this chapter three, but everybody seems to know Galatians 2.20. Um, how many of you know Galatians 2.20? Would, would you like to just start it out? 
of being crucified with Christ. We all know this verse is no longer I that lives in me, but Christ lives in me. In the, in the life that I now live, I live by the faith of Jesus Christ. But how many of us know Galatians 3.20? This is, this is my little verse that I am uh, trying to kind of understand a little bit more about. But we're going to memorize that verse this morning. Galatians 3.20 is, says this. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. So have you got it? Can you, can you, can you at least say the words? <clears throat> one party only, whereas God is only one. So this verse uh, has always stumped me, but I've never really taken the time to kind of follow up on it. Um, there's so much around it to absorb that it's like, well, okay, I, I guess I'll get to it one time. So after walking with the Lord for about 40 years, it finally became time for me to look at this verse. So I thought, okay, I'm going to look at this verse, and I've got some favorite websites I go to. Uh, one of them is called Christ Austin. It's a kind of reformed uh, multiple commentaries and it's just pages and pages and pages of commentary on verse by verse you know, throughout the Bible. Resources, messages, um, all kind of people's reflections on it. And so I looked this up and there's a half page on this verse. <laughs> like, oh, this is, this is interesting. And then so I started looking around and um, I don't know if many of you know about James Montgomery Boyce. Uh, he's a theologian, a respected Bible teacher. So I, his name came out. So I'll see what he has to say. Here's what he says. This verse, Galatians 3.20, is probably the most obscure verse in Galatians, if not the entire New Testament. So I'm thinking... Why am I standing up here <laughs> trying to talk about this particular verse? Um, and then he, he goes on and says, and there will probably never be a perfect agreement on Paul's precise meaning. Another commentator said there are probably over 100 interpretations of this verse. So we're angels, spirit of tread. We're going to jump in. Um, and we may not ever understand this verse, but my heart is that we'll really understand what Paul is trying to communicate. That's really, we want to apply the verse, even if the words themselves are a little bit obscure. Um, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to try to work through this. And if you'll permit me, um, <coughs> I normally don't pick long passages to read, but the context of the whole chapter of Galatians is worth us reading. And then we'll kind of narrow down to the section this one, this particular one is in. So if you have your Bibles with you and you'd like to read along in your Bible, sometimes for me, it's a little bit confusing, confusing if um, everybody doesn't have the same translation. Um, Greg and I use the one that Jesus used, which is the New American Standard. 
That's right. So I'm going to be reading out of New American Standard. Um, and hopefully um, you can either close your eyes and listen and we'll, we'll try to walk through this. It takes a, a bit. I, I really, um, I really said, do I really want to read this whole chapter? I said, maybe I'll time how long it takes. About four and a half minutes. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's interesting to me, too, as we start this, that uh, after Paul tells them, you know, the authority he has and that God's chosen him, he doesn't waste any time uh, beginning. It starts out, you foolish Galatians. So, uh, Greg, I mean, that's something you could write a letter. You'd start right out telling the truth in love, right? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, lots of questions here, isn't it, from Paul? Does he then who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith that are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant. Yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed. That is Christ. What I am saying to you is this. The law which came about 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. 
For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if, a, for if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up all men under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ and clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring according to promise. There's a lot there, isn't there? There's a couple of things that I want to talk about. And um, there's a word that's used there, um, mediator. So what, what is a mediator? Anybody want to throw out another word for mediator? A synonym. How about that? Yeah, a go-between, an intermediator, which is kind of using the same word, but it's it's a go-between. It's it's a, it's somebody that that stands between two parties. Right, and so um, in this particular verse, that mediator, at least some people agree, that that mediator is Moses. Um, A mediator is a go-between. And so some of the people of the hundred different interpretations believe that the mediator that, got, that Paul is speaking of here is Moses. Yes. With a law, with respect to the law. I'm sorry, with respect to the law. Okay. Um, because the people back then, when God said, bring them here, bring them to the foot of the mountain, I want to talk to them. Well, you know, that scared them to death. And so the scriptures say that then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak. And so from that point forward, it was Moses that went up to the mountain. 
Moses was the one that received the law. Moses was the one that took the law down to the people. Moses was the one who interpreted the law and said, this is how you're going to apply it to your life. You know, and then that's all the other things that follow after Exodus 20. Those chapters are explanation of that. Now, it's, it's interesting to me that um, within days or weeks in the explanation, okay, we're going to have sacrifices. There's going to be sacrifice. These are the things that we do to sacrifice. Because God already knew these people were not going to be able to keep the law. You know, Joshua had been around long enough. If you look in the first couple of chapters of Joshua, he says, you guys are not going to keep the law. And so this is who the law was given, but it was given through somebody and not directly to the people. That's the main point here, that there was a mediator. And then the law then became, you know, after Moses and it was explained uh, the law was the, the mediator between whether they were righteous or sinful. And immediately, you know, at the same time, God gives these these provisions for sacrifices so that they could remain righteous by offering sacrifices. So it's like if he thought that they could keep the law, it would have been a while before they even had to come up with these sacrifices. But it was immediately given. Um here and so that that is what one of the first premises that paul is trying to establish here is look a mediator's for two parties okay and the law was given through a mediator and but then he ends this he ends this verse with whereas god is only one so what does he mean by that well the key is um at least the key for me is the other word that occurs 10 times in chapter three is promise. We want to look at that. What, what was he talking about? So God is only one. What, what, what is the promise here that, that he's talking about? And does that promise have conditions? And so, you know, if you go back and kind of look through the life of Abraham in, in Genesis, um, what happens is, um, he's told to go to a land that God would show him. First, God calls him and says, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. And and then he, he takes Lot with him. And after a while, their herds are too big. They have to separate. And once Lot is separated from Abram, um, God then shows him the land at that particular time. He's, it, let's see, it's uh, Genesis... <coughs> 13, 14 says, after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving all this land as far as you can see to you and to your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction where I'm giving it to you. So, <clears throat> some more things happen. He has to go rescue Lot. Um, 
he, he gets a blessing from Melchizedek, the high priest of Salem. And then in Genesis 15, 1, you know, he's defeated these five kings and rescued these people and, and rescued his nephew Lot. So in Genesis 15, 1, it says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Now, it's interesting if you look at the alternate translation, which I actually like better, at least for the purposes of today. Um, and you can look in, you can look this verse up yourself, Genesis 15, 1. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your very great reward. It's one of the alternate translations in, in the margin of my Bible. Which to me kind of sounds like, I'm your reward. I'm your reward. I'm going to be a shield to you and I'm your reward. Um, and so he's been promised this land. He's been promised descendants and he has no kids you know and, and he says well god what good is a reward if i can't share it with my family and my my descendants and said am, am am i supposed to just give this to my servant <clears throat> no no abram you're gonna have a son so He asked this question, Abram asked this question, which I know that you all, we, our faith is way above Abram's. We wouldn't ask this question, but he did. Lord, how may I know? <laughs> how may I know? Has God promised you anything? Have you had a sense of, you know, well, Lord, how may I know? How may I know I'm going to possess this land? And so God says, well, his very next response, God says, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, a pigeon, and a dove. He doesn't tell him what to do with it. He goes and gets these things and starts cutting them in half, laying them out. He understands that there's getting ready to be a covenant. <clears throat> God's God's made a promise, and now we're going to have a covenant. And what and, and what men do, if you look back um, in the scripture we read, it says even in human relations, in, in in Galatians, if you look back in that scripture, it says even in human relations, a covenant is made. And so this is what they did to make an agreement back then. Um, and so he cuts these these pieces in two, and then the Bible says that um, when the sun was going down, these are, there are these things in the Bible that you just don't pick up till you've read it like fifty times. When the sun is going down, God then he God speaks to Abram, and there was terror and great darkness fell upon him. And what he saw or what he began to see. As God spoke to him, as look, 
Know for certain your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be a slave and oppressed for 400 years. Think about that. That'd be terror and darkness to me. I'm going to bless you with many descendants. And then God says, and here's what's going to happen at some point when they start walking walking through this time. Um, but he's, he knows this. Afterward, afterward, after that, they're going to come into this land. Um, but you, Abram, you're gonna you're gonna live the ripe old age and sleep with your fathers. Um, that thing is not over with at this point. This is when the sun is going down. But then it says in verse eight, when the sun had set. This was something I never picked up on, Greg, until <laughs> reading it again. When the sun had set, there was this flaming torch and this smoking pot that went through these, these opened up carcasses, which as best I understand, represented God and God alone. Normally when a, a, a covenant was made in those days, both parties to the covenant walked through. And basically it was like, uh, if I don't keep my part, of our agreement, may this be done to my flocks or even to me. But this is what this symbolized as these two people walk through these things as they made this covenant. But in this case, Abraham, Abram was in a, a deep sleep. And only this flaming torch, the smoking pot, passed through, which is, I think represents God. And so it was only one party that was pledging, may this happen to me if I don't make good on this promise to you. That you will have descendants, number one. You will have land, and I will be very greatly reward. So this word came to me. So life moves on. You know, he gets up. Um, and 10 years later, you know, he's told his wife, 10 years later, still no son. We need to do something about this. Take, take my servant, Hagar, and let's have a son. And so, he, women. <laughs> but, you know, we talked about this earlier. He was a wise man. He was a wise man. He said, do with her like you want, you know. So um, God comes to him again and says, no, we're not doing it that way. It's going to be with your wife, you know. So by this time, you know, this is like 13 more years because Ishmael, son of Hagar, is you know, getting ready to go to what would later be called Bar Mitzvah or whatever they have to do to come of age at that time. <clears throat> and so God comes to him again and says, well, you know, um, Sarah's going to have a baby. She's 99 years old. She's old as well. And lo and behold, it happens. It's a miracle. And he said, this is, this is the son 
that's going that's going to be your descendant through Sarah. Um, so life goes on. He grows up, becomes a little little guy, a young boy, and God says, "Well, I guess it's about time to really test Abram to see if he loves me." So he says, "Take your son, your only son," and he gives it, he names him. So you know he doesn't make the switch here. <laughs> he names him. He says, "I want you to go to Moriah and sacrifice him." And Abram. He gets up the next morning and heads out. I mean, this is a man of faith. I'm glad. I'm glad the world didn't depend on me. I'd still be asking, "How will I know?" Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he takes him, and obviously, God stops him. We all know these stories. We all know these stories. Um, so Genesis 22. If you want to. Look at that, or you can just trust me as I read it. So his son says, well, we've got the wood. Yeah, yeah, you carry the wood. We're going to go on up without, without the servants. But what about the sacrifice? What did what what Abraham have? Now his name's changed, because now he's the father of many people before he's ever had his first son. Um, he says this. The Lord will provide, as it is said this day. In the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. So, and it was. What was provided? You remember what was provided? God will provide a lamb. And I think it may have been a ram. I don't remember. A ram. <clears throat> Himself a sacrifice. Yeah, that's we're, we'll get there. That's exactly right. You know, well, actually, Spoiler. it says, um, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Yeah, and so. He does. He does provide that. And 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 what does what what else does the Lord say to him? If you continue on in verse 16, Genesis 22, 16, it says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed. As the stars of the heavens, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. Verse 18 In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, this word blessed and blessing. Uh, means a lot more than just a pat on the head in the scriptures. Um, I looked this thing up and it, it actually says that blessed in the Greek means possessing the favor of God, that the state of being marked by fullness from God. It's almost like shalom. I mean, that 
your well-being all rest on the fact that you have the favor of God, that your other things say that you're connected with God. This is the this is the blessing being your very great reward, favor of God. Um, and this is this is the point that Paul is trying to make here is that this promise from God, which is interesting to me as I, as I read this thing, Paul's whole thing rests on one word, seed versus seeds. You know, and I'm like, I look back in my, my Bible and every time it's translated as descendants, plural. But I think that Paul probably understood the language back there better than we do now, 2,000 years earlier. And if he said it's singular, it's good enough for me. But, I mean, think about it. This is the revelation that Paul received. It was this man, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the promise to Abraham. Not seeds. I mean, if it was seeds, then it could all the descendants of Abraham by faith, would they be the ones that bless the whole world? All nations, all nations know it was this one seed. And so the promise was fulfilled. And this to me is the point that Paul is trying to make for these Galatians is look, you get circumcised that's just the beginning of a slippery slope. Then you're going to have to do something else. And then and you're going to rest on that outward sign of circumcision as being what you're going to put your faith in. I've done this, and so now I'm righteous before the Lord. And, you know, we do the same thing. This is, this is the thing for me, I think. I don't know about you all, but I, I, can, I can find myself walking through life um, feeling like, I'm more righteous and have a little bit better audience with God if my works are there. You know, if I'm obeying the Ten Commandments and, you know, or, or let's say disobeying them less and less. And that's not it. And that's what Paul is trying to tell these people. It's faith in a promise. And God said he would provide a sacrifice. And he did. And he declared it by oath. And if you go on into the book of Hebrews, let's see, Hebrews 6, let me read this. Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 13, it said, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. That's exactly what it says in Genesis 22, 16 and 17. He swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves and with them an oath, oath is given as confirmation to end every dispute. In the same way, God, 
desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, those of us who believe by faith, if you will, the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. That hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope that's both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil, which where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the promise, according to the order of Melchizedek. And so everything hangs on the word of God, on this promise that he made to Abram. And the people that believe in the promise that there would be a seed that would come, namely Jesus Christ, they're the, they're the, they're the true descendants of Abraham, those that walk by faith, just as it says in Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. Um, and this is the point of this verse is really that the promise is far, far superior to the law in bringing us to a righteous place before the Lord. The law cannot do that. But what it does do in the breadth and scope of what it is, it, it tells us it's impossible to be right related to God and obey the law. It, it brings us to a place where we come to say, I'm in desperate need of a savior. What must I do to be saved? It's interesting to me too, especially as since we had the man camp and we concentrated on that one invitation from the Son of God, the seed that came, the seed that was promised. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, that's a partial part of the promise of getting a land. If you're a sojourner and somebody says, here's some ground, you can have it forever. This is where you can stay. Then you're not a sojourner anymore. You have a place to rest. You have a place of identity. You have a place that can be a place of security. You know, if you can maintain peace there. And, and so that's what Jesus promised. If you're weary and heavy laden, and if you look at the chapter, I think it's chapter 11, all the woes are in there. These people are loaded down with all these laws. And if you really want to be right and laden with God and you've got all these laws to keep, you can become weary. And they're a burden. They're a burden. And so it's not just because you're tired from work. It's trying to maintain a right relationship with God. And if you want to do it by behavior and thought, it's a burden and you will be weary with it. And Jesus has come to me. Come to me. I'll give you a rest. We're, we're really sojourners now, aren't we? Especially now in this country. But God through Christ has 
promised us a rest, and we can rest from the trying to be right with God in this way. You know, what he's given us is a sacrifice that lasts forever. So we repent and we trust the sacrifice. And so instead of as a means of relating to God through law, now it's like an opportunity to show him how much we love him by obeying the law. It becomes an expression of love rather than a requirement for relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the point I think Paul is trying to get across to the Galatians. And that's the point that I keep telling myself. Stop ebbing and flowing. You can come boldly to God, repent. <clears throat> Sacrifice has been made. And he's promised. He's made a promise. If God can't keep a promise, then he's not God. And that's the point that I think Paul is trying to drive home with these these relations. Is don't go down that road. There'll just be more and more things you want to try to do better. And that's not what he's called us. He's called us to a freedom. It was it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Yeah. But in that same chapter about a freedom, it says later on. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Oh, I'm I'm forgiven. I can I can do these things and I'll just repent, you know. No, he says use that freedom to serve one another in love. And so that's our that's our response is to learn to walk in that particular place. Um so I hope that that helps a little bit with this obscure verse that doesn't seem so obscure now, but obviously it really must be if these great minds say it's hard to understand. But they do understand what Paul's trying to say. And, and it, when you lift it out by itself, it, it's very confusing because I think actually it's, I think the actual, because there are words that are italicized in, in the New American Standard to help you understand it better. But the real thing says, now a mediator is not for one, but God is one, which makes it even harder to understand. So um, I, I tr trust that helps some. Um, I know that Greg will take some questions. Talk about and I'll be behind him giving him encouragement. Now, if, if you guys want to talk about this a little bit, we can. Um, so I'll just open up or, or for comments, you know, if there's anything you'd like to, to share. First Timothy 2 5 says there's one mediator between God and heaven. First Timothy 2 5 Zoom people says there is one mediator between God and man, and the man is Christ Jesus. He is the one that now sits at the right hand of God. Proving being raised from the dead that the sacrifice was acceptable, he sits at the right hand of God making intercession and mediating for those that believe. Right? Yeah. Anybody else? The comment or questions?
fourth governor I know about that was that that made me think do I really want to go down this road in front of people but <laughs> I, I heard him speak one We're, we're going to close in prayer so the Zoom people um, don't have, I know they can't hear us when we're discussing things. Let's close in prayer and then if you want to continue talking, we will. How about that? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that just like you, there are places that are mysterious and obscure and things that, Father, only the diligent will search out and you will reward them as they study your word. But Lord, we do pray that we might continue to walk in absolute trust in your promise to your people. Lord, we're just gracious that you have chosen us. We didn't choose you, but you chose us. And Lord, we thank you that you've made a provision through Christ that we might walk in newness of life in Jesus' name. Pray, Father, you go with us and keep us. Lord, help us to be alert to those opportunities that you give us because you have given us the promise of your spirit according to your word. And so, Lord, let us let us walk in obedience and submission to your spirit, Father. We thank you, Father, for all your provisions in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen.